Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Rule of Law Pod, brought to you by Matrix Chambers in association with Prospect Magazine. I'm Richard Hermer and I'm joined this week by my colleague Zoe McCullum. For the past few weeks, the media has been full of stories about the apparent existential threats posed by artificial intelligence to humanity. Siren voices such as Geoffrey Hinton announced his resignation from Google in order to focus on the threat and draw public attention to it while tech bosses have been called into meetings at the White House and Downing Street to discuss. Meanwhile, lawyers have been reacting to it in more parochial and perhaps self-interested ways. Barely a day goes by now without an email invitation to a discussion about how AI is going to increase efficiency, productivity at law firms, albeit at the expense of those who thought law might provide a career for life. Naive fools. Now, if you were turning in for a detailed discussion about how AI might make your life as a lawyer or your lawyer's life easier, then you're probably on the wrong podcast. What we want to do here is not simply understand what the impact of AI might be in real terms, but to metaphorically lift up the bonnet and try and assess what the implications for the rule of law may be. In particular, we want to examine two areas. The first focuses on the impact of AI on our conceptions of what justice itself might look like in the future. Would society be better off if disputes are resolved more quickly and accurately by a machine rather than a judge? And the second area examines the need for law, be it domestic or international, to regulate AI in what some are calling the existential threat it poses. Here to help and explain, I'm delighted, is Tim Lillicrap. Tim is the research director at Google DeepMind. He first became interested in the ideas of computers interacting with people when he read William Gibson's Neuromancer in high school in Canada. He has a PhD in computational neuroscience, and his post-PhD projects have included the applications of deep learning to robotics in solving games such as Go and StarCraft. His current research focuses on machine learning for optimal control and decision-making, as well as using these mathematical frameworks to understand how the brain learns. Tim has become increasingly interested in AI safety and the social and political implications of AI. 
he also has a rescue dog and helping him has helped Tim rethink some of his ideas about neuroscience. So I think you did some cutting edge AI further research on Tim. I did. Yeah, I just say absolutely great intro. I know Tim quite well. He was one of the ones that got me into my parochial lawyer concern that I might lose my job. So I was on ChatGPT seeing whether it could do a better job than me of writing the open passage to a skeleton argument, which unfortunately it could. So I put in who is Tim Lillicrap? And ChatGPT knew. So I said, I wonder if it can do metaphorical type of reasoning. So I said, if if AI is a jungle, who would Tim be? And ChatGPT said, if AI is a jungle, Timothy would be the lion. And Tim immediately said, it's hallucinating. <laughs> Tim, welcome. Hi. Um, can we start off, um, really just let's begin at the beginning with mm-hmm. some kind of basic terminology. So yeah. uh, I'm, let me just make plain, I'm a complete Luddite when it comes to AI. But there are kind of two terms that I think it'd be really helpful to define at the outset. Yeah. So could you just help us with what we mean by AI general intelligence and what we mean when we talk of AI super intelligence and the kind of difference between the two. Yeah, sure. I will do that. I'll maybe introduce one more, one more term, which I think is is sort of important into all this, which is machine, machine learning. So just to give a very quick bit of background, I mean, AI is something that's been worked on for, for ages now. People have been interested in it. Um, especially since Turing was around, um, the idea of artificial machines that would compute and had intelligence in some sense. There was there was sort of like very there were various stages, and things didn't work too well until maybe the last twenty years when this sort of form of AI caught on called machine learning. And the big jump there was that instead of trying to program computers to do things, researchers began to focus increasingly on the idea that you would get computers to do things by learning. So instead of setting up rules for them to operate, you would instead set up a rule, a learning rule, and then through data, through examples, you would learn to, you would have a machine that learned to do things. Okay, so then you have these two, these two other terms you've talked about, which is um, artificial general intelligence and super intelligence. I will say that I think nobody really, even the experts can precisely define these things. So it's worth saying that off the bat, and most people will sort of, most experts will also agree to that, that we don't have well pinned down definitions of those things. So the sort of, the, the sort of rough thing that you'd get uh, for something like artificial and general intelligence would be that it would be a machine that's about as good at, at, at humans at most uh, cognitive tasks. And that would be, that would count as, as sort of generality. We've already sort of seen some of the weirdness of these things, because I would say now we already we, we do have uh, certain kinds of machine intelligence that are much, much better at humans at very particular kinds of tasks. But yes, we don't yet have something that's sort of about as good as a human across the breadth of tasks, tasks that humans engage with cognitively. Um, and then again, superintelligence would be in a similar sense again, like not that well defined. I think what people probably generally have in their heads is, uh, God, yeah, yeah. sure, maybe, and and then and then you know, like particularly something that's like about as good as as, as a, an adult human at cognitive tasks, and and at least can do some of those uh, much better, but sort of got, does them all about as well, and then some of them much better, potentially just much faster. And then where the existential risk comes in is probably a step above that, because what you've just described is someone who's as good or maybe slightly better than a human. And there's perhaps a step beyond that where the machines get even better than that. 
Yeah, I mean, this this is the sort of thing. Yeah, that's that's right. Um, it's funny though. So you, we, we, I think we don't. This is again one of these things where it's I think unclear to the field and certainly unclear to me. It, it might be that you don't have to be, uh, in a certain sense, uh, much cleverer. Maybe you could just be as clever but much faster. And, and then these things kind of blur into one another. So maybe that's enough in, in a sense, right? So you can kind of imagine that like all of the advancements that human, humans have made uh, in culture over the last, you know, especially over the last sort of like 10,000 years, um, in a sense, you could kind of say, well, this is like been humans, like a lot of it has been done on humans talking to each other, thinking and sort of aggregating information on top of itself and getting better and better at certain things. And maybe, and humans probably haven't gotten much smarter during that period, but they have like built on, they built on the sort of products of the last generation. And so potentially to have something like super intelligence, you may not even have to be much smarter than a human. You maybe just have to be able to accelerate thinking by pouring compute into it. Um, and maybe to give an example of this, the sort of like what can happen along these lines, some of the chess work that was done, one of the first moments that really made me think like we we should maybe be careful heading into some of this where some of the results coming out of the the chess um the alpha zero project where it was applied so a, a machine learning algorithm was applied to learning chess and in that context you could go from uh, a machine that knew nothing about chess to playing chess at a superhuman capacity in about 4 hours conditioned so that that is like basically sort of recapitulating the entirety of learning of chess um, if you have enough compute to put into it so this is like in some sense the intelligence the speed of it could scale as a result of pouring more compute in that's really interesting can i just try and understand that perhaps just through the kind of just apply it to a really kind of rudimentary kind of legal example the idea that it's not so much ultimately about the intelligence, it's about the speed of processing of data to some degree. So w would this be kind of a fair analogy? Let's say I've got a legal case yep. and it's going to take me two days to work through the cases that have gone before to understand what the answer is. And there, there might be, yep. let's say there are 30 cases yep. and I've got to read them and I've got to think about them. And I've got to think about how I can apply them, having thought how they may have been used in other cases. But basically, my realm of knowledge is, is legal training applied to reading those two cases. So that might take me two days. Whereas through AI, which has absorbed not the 20 cases I've looked at, but every case ever decided, not only in this country, but all around the world, yeah. has, has, has able to assess from those what have been successful arguments, unsuccessful arguments, can assess the judges, the decisions that those judges may have made, who mm -hmm. I'm going to appear in front of in every decision to kind of work out what's been effective and what's not been effective. So they can look at that by a magnitude of thousands more comprehensive sources in a split second. Would that be an example? So they, they may apply be applying the same degree of intelligence in the broader yeah. sense, yeah. but their capability is just, I mean, it could, could be more. Could be more. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think actually that's a great. That is a, a fantastic, I don't know, sort of situation to, like, I think, pull up and think about a bit and also contrast a bit to, to something like chess. And it's worth, mm. it's worth any pausing and doing that for a moment. So, so I think actually um, it is, it's very much worth saying that, you know, we're, we are a, a ways, I don't know how far we can maybe get into that, but we're a ways from having something that could do what you just mentioned, which is to like consume those cases mm consume sort of all the background law and then and then sort of think through it and produce 
produce some way forward, some some approach to that, some approach to that case. We're away from that, uh, and there are there's a real difference there, and the the the, the, the from from chess, and that is that in chess the win conditions were are, are very precise uh, and very clear, and the win conditions can be computed uh, precisely and clearly by a computer. So you could basically throw lots of compute to thinking about can I advance myself to the win conditions like all inside a computer without going anywhere else. Um, I think, and you guys can tell me, you're more expert on this. The law is a bit sloppier than chess. <laughs> a bit um, sloppy is maybe, a, you know, more, but it's not quite. Doubtedly, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 a, it's messier at least. It's messier. And, and, and sort of win conditions for cases are, are trickier, are trickier business. Right? Well, I suppose it depends, doesn't it? Because I suppose it depends who the, who's deciding on the merits of what you've produced. Now, if it's another bit of AI that's <clears throat> deciding it and yeah. we're in that internal chess game, it might be one scenario. If it's a human judge with all those human limitations, yeah. it might be another. That might be a good time to kind of segue into judging and just talk about how AI judging might end up looking slightly different to human judging. One of the things I, I was trying to um, get my head around when working out how the, the tech may work is that the type of AI that we have in the sort of direction of travel is, tell me if this is all entirely wrong, but it'll look for patterns in the data, right? And then in some sense, what it does is it replicates those patterns. We, in a sense, will sometimes describe that as being the job of a judge, right? Look at look at what the past case law says. And then we have this odd conception that no one really believes that the law is the law and it's value neutral. We also have swings from left wing, a, a core of sometimes left wing judging to then a swing over to the right. And I was thinking if a judge was a was a robot or an AI, an AI robot, and was looking only at past patterns and a whole load of recent decisions, which would be the operative ones were conservative decisions, would it be less likely to spot the answer that was in some sense brilliant, but a bit different to the case law, and less likely then to swing as law naturally does from from left to right? Okay. There's too many questions. There's a bunch. That. There's a bunch there. Yeah. I think that, yeah, you've hit a bunch of super important points. I want to back up for one moment to the case where we sort of like fix. Maybe imagine fixing judges is still human. I do think it's worth making like before we come on to the the point you made, uh, making a point there, which is that there, there was I, I was saying there's this there was this contrast between chess where the sort of win conditions are very precisely defined. And then sort of maybe real world cases, which are, say, defined, like decided by human judges. And I would say it's not even maybe I think a lot of human judges are probably doing their best is that the world is actually messy. And there's some cases which are actually everyone would almost agree. And then there's, there's stuff that gets more and more fringe and harder to decide. And I think one of the things that I, I just wanted to say along the way is that there's one of the, the sort of real revolutions that has happened with this machine learning versus what is sometimes termed good old fashioned AI is that machine learning lets you deal better with these cases where wind conditions are less well-defined. So that is to say, you can actually just look at outcomes, patterns in outcomes, and, and get a machine that sort of learns to sort of figure out those wind conditions, figure out what it needs to do to attain those wind conditions, even if those wind conditions are messy and statistical and, and, and tricky. So I think it's worth saying that because I made a contrast, but I think, yeah, machine learning one of the things that's kind of revolutionary is that it can it can move into these domains where things are less well defined. There's another there's another piece which you mentioned, which is about replication of past patterns. And 
that's also extremely relevant, especially with respect to the models that have come about in the very recent couple of years, these, these things called large language models. And there's maybe two things to know about how they're trained relative to what you mentioned. And the, the first is that the main sort of training phrase, what people call pre-training, is that they go and they gather just enormous quantities of text from the internet. That's kind of the first step. And then they basically uh, train these models to predict the next word in a, in a stream of words. And that's it. And it's in some sense, incredibly simple. Um, and these, these models are now gigantic and just doing this very simple objective of predicting, predicting text in this big corpus. And I mean, it, it, in some ways, it's, it's kind of the, the results of that have been kind of mind bending. Like this is, I think nobody, there's several things that nobody predicted. I think nobody predicted that these would give rise to such interesting artifacts. And, and I think in some sense, before it was happening, no one really sort of dreamed, oh, this was going to be the approach that AI really sort of found traction. What are the interesting world. artifacts, Tim? The, sorry, the interesting artifacts are these large transformer models that you can have some sort of interaction with, like ChatGPT. Chat they're just, they're kind of, yeah, anyway, they're kind of amazing to interact with. And I think no one predicted that would happen. So that's already interesting. The second thing to say is that they're the ones that are most interesting to interact with are trained as a mixture of the thing that I just mentioned, this pre-training phase, which is just, just about re replicating past patterns, as in like the patterns that would be found on the internet, or if you went and downloaded a bunch of legal texts and corpus and, and trained on that, like replicating those past patterns. But there's another phase of training that's engaged in for things like ChatGPT, which is you basically have people have interactions with these things and ask the, the people to sort of um, say, I would prefer this kind of an interaction or this kind of interaction. And so there's, a, there's a, a sense in which people feed into this. Either they sort of demonstrate, this is a better way that I would prefer you to act, or I would prefer um, this response over this response. Teaching AI to think like a human, in other words. Yeah, so, and, and, and so the, the pre-training phase was sort of like building blocks. It was something that like, in a sense, has given these models Kind of a raw, a raw understanding of the kinds of things that can happen in text, say, and then this this sort of uh, subsequent fine tuning, uh, fine tuning phase that is basically sort of where people are showing these things like how to act or giving preferences about how to act. That can move it away from just this past pattern replication. Well, can I come back yeah. to that in one moment? Because yeah, th yeah. there's one aspect of that that I'm really. In I think is particularly important, which is ensuring that in that latter conversation, you are not endowing um, the AI with your own prejudices and biases. Mm -hmm. And that's particularly important when one's looking at it from a legal perspective. But can I just ask you one kind of factual yeah, yeah. kind of please, question? Please. And then I really want to ask Zoe about <clears throat> what the implications of that are. But is it fanciful for, from your perspective to foresee a time in the relatively near future when the machine can provide more accurate answers to a legal problem that's taken at the most basic, whether someone is innocent or guilty, looking at all the evidence, applying the, all the law, a more accurate answer or which party is responsible to the other for a car accident or a commercial yeah. transaction gone wrong, more accurate than a judge. I mean, is that, is, is that kind of on the near horizon where at least the technology will yeah. be capable of that? So that is a great question. My personal opinion is that is, is yes, I 
I think that we we'd need to like maybe start pinning down like what exact time frame we mean like in the near future. But I would say that it at least seems entirely conceivable in the next ten years. So Zoe, can I ask you? Just for your views on that, because obviously you, you mean you've got a much more developed kind of understanding of AI than I have, and obviously also you think carefully about what justice means in the justice system. And judges have started talking about this. There was a the master of the roles, Jeffrey Voss, gave a talk about mm. you know lower level procedural matters being dealt with by AI in the future. But let's let's assume that we get to a point in which machines can make much more accurate decisions than judges. What is and, that? Sorry, Tim. And should yeah. we and should we just so so there's there's the two ends of it, and, yeah. and there's there's both the sort of like say trying to win a case in the context of human judges. Yeah, but and I'm then, I'm interested here not so much about other, not not about the lawyers, yeah, not about yeah. can you be more effective yeah, in winning, yeah. but the actual answer. So are you get going to get to a point where it doesn't matter what the parties are saying, yeah. it doesn't matter what lawyer A for or yeah. lawyer B is saying, it's about mm-hmm. what's the right answer. Now are you going to get to a point in which the machine is going to be able mm-hmm. to tell us that? much better than a judge listening to party mm-hmm. A or party B. You just hear the facts, yeah. what's the answer? Mm-hmm. And it will tell you not after five years of litigation and yeah. millions of pounds, but it'll tell you after four seconds of the event happening. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, and what I'm really kind of yeah. been trying to grapple with is, okay, that's cheaper. That's You can get more consistent decisions. You yeah. might get yeah. decisions that are uh, correct more often the time yeah. than a judge. But is in you know when we have, we set up these legal systems in society to kind of, keep the peace between individuals yeah. to have some regulation of the state is that is that justice is it better to have the right answer the entire yeah. time or is it better to have a human system yeah my thinking on this is as follows it's very common for when we have this debate about is it better if it's a computer doing this or a human to, to become arid because there's an ick factor with it's a human right and in a sense perhaps you can you could kind of testing that say that that's a form of discrimination because you're not asking the question who's performing the the task as a judge you're saying what's the identity of the agent and I'm going to write them out and I think if I were to strip lawyering just down to what I am understand it to be it's the application of well the making of decisions in accordance with principles that I've taken into my heart that I find important right I think legal aid obviously is a huge part of that that you signal to in your answer and, you know, as a lawyer, I'm very excited about the idea that it could be low cost because, for example, I'm watching a bill go through the House of Lords at the moment, which is going to potentially wipe away legal resource for a massive category of vulnerable people, the unlawful migration bill. But I think that the question is, can we test an AI judge against conventional public law principles that we all know and care about? That is, just to start off with, you know, will the decision be sufficiently transparent? Will there be sufficient reasoning that we can understand how a judge came to the decision? Now, that's just one of many principles. But if I were to test what I know about AI against that right now, immediate thought I have is algorithms and commercial secrets. For example, we don't actually know if we take everybody knows ChatGPT, what's going into ChatGPT? What, what are the mechanisms by which it's making its decisions? And if I'm right in terms of what I've understood talking to Tim about this, the whole idea of semi-supervised machine learning is that people that say, I want this outcome, don't necessarily know how the machine does it. And when it comes to judging, that may present a real public law problem. Yeah. Okay. So that that's entirely true. I'll run through a couple ideas. I think one of the first things to say is that people have this idea often that they know how they arrived at answers. And, and actually, that's often not true. 
And in fact, even for things like chess, if you ask chess experts how they knew what was a good move, they think they can explain it, but actually they, they, they like we seem to know systematically that they can't. And I'm sure that it's probably even worse at the edge of law. I would imagine that there are what, like what I would imagine, I imagine that there are easy cases and, you know, slightly harder cases and eventually much harder cases. I, I, I don't know much, but I imagine there are easy cases probably where if you'd got a hundred judges and you asked them, they'd all come down on roughly the same answer. And then it, then it would go out and it would get, and it would get trickier. Um, I think in the case, in the case of the sort of easy cases, then I think like possibly this stuff will just be an easy win in the sense that you could, you could sort of automate something that like reads the situation, comes out with an output that like a hundred, a hundred out of a hundred judges would come down in the same way. Right. And then probably everyone's relatively happy uh, except maybe people who are making their living off of those easy cases, right? So like the, the people who didn't have much money would be happier. Like I think would generally it'd be a good move. I think as you go out, it gets harder. Let me run by sort of, I guess, um, uh, like an imagined sort of, you know, how would something like this ever work and how could you keep humans in the situation? Um, and this is kind of, there, there are people who are beginning to do sort of experiments like this, not really in the legal world, but with related stuff. So you could you could actually set up situations where you say had uh, three like three models that would talk to each other, uh, some one that would play in some sense the role of a judge, and two that would play the roles of say lawyers, and you would have these things talk to each other in bouts, uh, in some kind of a, a debate format, and you would have then a transcript that you could go and examine, and if this was one of these cases that was deemed. Uh, hard, as in, or, or tricky, where you had, say, 10 judges who looked at the rough outline of the case and said, you know, 50% of us would go one way and 50% the other, you might flag it as something that is quite a hard case. And in that case, you'd, you know, ask the AI to run, r- reach a determination, and throw the judgment then up to the 10 who would read it deeply and try to come to like a consensus themselves and then give that feedback and feed that feedback into the next round. So it would be an aid for human decision-making. Yeah. But I mean, sorry to kind of push the point, but it just strikes yeah. me as so kind of profound as to kind of what we mean when we talk of justice. Yeah. And maybe it says more, maybe it's more of a question about what justice means than what AI does. But let's assume, I'm going to take quite a stark example, but let's yeah. assume that we're going to reach the point in crime and criminal law. Yeah in which AI is going to be far more accurate than juries, which are notoriously unreliable, right. I would say, yeah. juries in, in criminal trials. Right. And certainly if I was guilty of a crime, I'd always want a jury. Um, <laughs> I see, I see. Yeah. So, so what would it mean? I mean, would we as a society consider a better justice system where the machine mm. determined whether or not someone was going to spend their life in prison or not in prison? than um, a jury. How does that fit, Zoe, with kind of principles as to why we have justice system, what justice means? I mean, these are really kind of profound questions that we may have to grapple with. It's interesting because the phrase (laughs) jury is part of a longer phrase, isn't it? A jury of your peers. Yeah. Which implies being human. But I, I don't have any different answer to that question, to the earlier question, which is just I don't think we should be looking at what the nature of the thing is. We should just be looking, in a sense, at how its mind, quote unquote, works. And if it does the job, it does the job. That's that's my 
feeling well can i use that as a switch Mm. then because i I mean this has been this we could do a whole series of podcasts just on the implications for law and justice and where we go but i i really want tim to kind of pick your brain on the kind of the second part of the discussion which is we're told that this is a kind of an existential threat to humanity and I want to kind of explore with you, firstly, what that means, because I know that you, you've you signed up to the Centre for AI Safety, Safe AI statement. that This is an existential risk yeah. right, that we need to deal with on the same scale as nuclear war. And I want to kind of yeah. un- unpack that a bit and understand what that kind of means. And then I really want to have a kind of pick your brain on, you know, what can law do to help yeah. effectively? Yeah. So what, what do we mean by an existential threat yeah. from AI? Yeah, I think I think it's worth... I think it's worth being honest that we don't know entirely the shape of these things and that I would start there. And that I will say as well that I have some sensible friends in the field who would not sign up for this letter. Um, many, many people have but some sensible friends in the field who would not sign up for it because they, they don't agree that it's on the same scale um, as, as pandemics or, or nuclear war. I, I, I think it is. And I think in, in part, I think there's urgency because I think I do see things now moving quickly in the next two decades. And I think we should be having some response. I think at the same time, yeah, we don't know quite what the shape of it is. I guess for me, the, the, the issue is this. I think that we're, we're headed towards smarter and smarter uh, m- machine intelligence. And I don't see a blocker on it being like relatively general in the sense of as smart or smarter than a human across most meaningful dimensions. And I think that once you, once you cross that, that threshold, you know, across most meaning, most, most meaningful dimensions, um, and then you have a situation where you can just pour compute into it. So this is the other thing that I sort of think is, is relevant is like, once you have such a thing, then you can potentially just make it think a lot more or a lot more deeply or a lot harder just by sort of spending uh, spending flops on a, on a device. I think at that point, in my mind, we don't have good models of what will happen. So, and, and I think actually there's people who come down on either side of this in the sense that there's, um, I think, some very smart people who say, because we don't have good models about what will happen if we cross that threshold, well, we shouldn't get uh, too we shouldn't get too worked up about it because we have no we have no models we have no science so like we you know let's not get let's not work ourselves into a sort of a fervor about what might happen. I think I just come down on the other side and say I think the the idea of 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 having things running around that are a lot smarter than us there's an insane amount of uncertainty and though although I'm unsure about what might happen I can see a lot of scenarios where that's probably a bad situation could you kind of give um, kind of a bit of flesh to what that means so you know those of us who kind of grew up with sci-fi and the kind of a um, couple of decades um, older than both of you but you yeah. know the kind of how computational intelligence realizing that things are much more efficient without humans for example yeah. uh, and putting in chain of events to, yeah. to make that happen i mean or is it just because millions and tens of millions of people are going to no longer um be part of a going to be in work and that's yeah. going to create political problems what what in in concrete terms yeah. i mean i, I appreciate yeah. you're saying look we don't really understand quite where this is taking yeah. us so with that as a given sure. what are the kind of things that we should what are the concrete about? pieces yeah and i would say and i would say both and i would say uh both so there, there are sort of like clear short-term there are clear short-term risks in the sense that as these things get smarter i think some of the things that have happened around 
uh, democratic systems and social media and, and, and so on, and things like um, bias in, in AI. These are risks that people have identified and I think are all very real and short term. I think that this was going to, this is sort of in the process of happening now. And so that's the, kind of, that, that's the kind of Cambridge Analytica on steroids type of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's right. Yeah. Um, like basically it's going to become harder and harder to determine like who is a human online. Um, I think people are, you know, we'll really have to think about whether you'll have good ways of authenticating who is a human in any interaction online. This is going to become more and more probably pressing. I think this is going to roll into more and more job questions at least. I mean, I think I think anyone who might tries to make precise predictions about how the job market stuff is going to go is it's, it's you're going to run into trouble. But at the very least, you'd be kind of daft not to predict that there's going to be massive disruption. Yeah. I think that's that's sort of given. I think that's likely to roll into all kinds of geopolitical like concerns where various militaries are trying to understand, you know, how do we make sure that we're not behind and and we're sort of at pace with these things electronic warfare kinds of things have already been going on, but the, the version of that with AI, I think is going to be much weirder, much yeah. more hard to get a hold of. And then, and then I think this, this, this does roll into some of these, I think more sci-fi uh, existential kinds of risks where if you have something that is again, like really sort of passes the threshold on as smart as a person across most dimensions that you'd say you'd care about, then uh, that that kind of a thing rolling around, I think there's potential for it to be hacking into systems that have nuclear armaments, uh, hacking into systems that have access to biological agents, um, running experiments and creating new biological agents. Um, I think that there is there are real empirical questions there. So if you read some of the the, the, the sort of really fervent X risk folk. They will, there's, there's some imagining there that if like, look, if you get something that's really super intelligent, then you could, you, you could imagine something that's like producing, goes into a biological lab somewhere, really knows what it's doing because it's really thought it through and produces a super bug that first of all spreads through the world in a week and then in a very precisely timed way kind of, you know, kills most people. So you'll get, you'll get people who think about those sort of things. I think the, there is, you know, there are reasons to believe um, that maybe intelligence doesn't buy you that that much, right? So that like, actually, it might be hard to turn intelligence into something that could operate like that in the real world. Like, it's actually very hard to do that. And, and in a way, I'm sort of hopeful, like, there's actually, you know, like that, that actually sounds like a hopeful situation to me, that it would be hard to turn intelligence into sort of a threat. But I would say we also don't know. And then the other one that seems pretty difficult to contend with, you can imagine is situations in which AI is getting into and messing around with uh, stock market systems or or supply chain systems or things like this. Like we've seen sort of some of the, the pains of that. And if you imagine it tenfold, then certainly the idea that you'd get into a situation where maybe you're not talking about uh, extinction, but you're talking about, you know, tens of millions or, or you know, many millions of people being in serious trouble. That's mm-hmm. that's very easy to believe. Well, if you look at what um, one barge getting stuck in the Suez <laughs> Canal can do. That's right. To the world economic <laughs> supply system. That's right. Yeah. And so if you if you then sort of imagine that there's a yeah the, a situation where there's something that is sort of fairly clever and and well plugged in 
and has a, a bit of a has a bit of an agenda. Um, and we don't know quite what that agenda is. That, yeah. That's actually an interesting place to pick up because so far you've you've talked about kind of acts that AI could do, which may be at the instigation of another person. But there's another question at the table, which is perhaps this is where your neuroscience background comes in too. But philosophers have argued about this for, for decades. I mean, how do we test when AI has independent agency? And, you know, related to that, and thinking about training your dog as well, as was mentioned in the introduction, it's quite easy to manipulate a lesser being, even if you mm. don't have agency. And in fact, if you're just mm. told, um, we've talked before potentially about a scenario where when an AI is just told maximize resources and it doesn't yet have agency, but it knows how to go about doing that and it works out it can hack into a bank account, for example, as one of the ways of doing it. Now, that's mm. not an intended effect, but it's something that ends up happening. That may not yet be agency, but it's something along the way. Comment on either of those two. Yeah, so there's I mean, there's a whole bunch to say. I think I think that maybe there's a lot of arguments that go on, go on about whether whether we might arrive at AI that is conscious in the sense that it like really sort of deeply knows it, it, it exists in the way that we think we do, and and has that sort of light has some sort of light of consciousness in it. I don't I don't think it that matters particularly for us to have to worry about mm-hmm. the situation. So even if we sort of imagine that um, uh, somehow that the, like what we call consciousness, the sort of like n- like some sort of knowing of our self being present, even if that's not there in the way that we typically think about it, I don't think that means that we wouldn't have agents that are acting in ways that we would say, oh, it's like it's it's autonomous and it has goals and is going for them. So I think those things like we should decouple those because I think that the the scientific hard question of consciousness that is often called, I don't think it bears on whether we should, we should be worried and, and mm-hmm. engage with these things. And then, as you said, I think there's, there's, there's really sort of funny things about like manipulation of people. And that's another avenue for potential harm, right? I mean, I think like agents that would maybe make deals with, with people, uh, maybe unscrupulous dictators who like are, are, are happy to expand their power in the world by virtue of making uh, like making deals with something that is plugged into some economic systems, that's a, sort of another route for potential for potential damage. Uh, you can imagine those dictators thinking they're getting the better end of it for some period of time. But yeah, um, yeah. Tim, can I, um, I'm conscious that um, we're kind of drawing to a, a, yeah. a close on discussion, and I just wanted though to kind of think about the role here that law may have. So, yeah. and we've touched upon other types of existential risks, nuclear war being one of them, in which nations have come together on an international level to provide a, to kind of codify some rules under the Non-Proliferation Treaty. We've done the same with biological weapons. We're very slowly, far too slowly, we're addressed, starting to address at an international legal level climate change. Um, at the moment, there's some regulation in this field, but very little. And it's still all in the hands of some very rich billionaires, yeah. some of whom values are reflected in the fact they want to have a cage fight um, with each other. Um, and I'm just wondering, I mean, two questions, well, three questions, really, yeah. to kind of um, end off, if we may, which is, you know, from your perspective, do we need a kind of a legal framework to kind of govern this? Mm. Um secondly, um, what would be the top things that need to be regulated? I mean, do we start, for example, I mean, you've touched on it and uh, Yuval Noah Hariri has touched on it. You know, rule one is you've got to know whether it's you're dealing with a machine or a human. 
And does that need to be looked? Does that need to be part of law? And then finally, just are we too late? <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Good questions. And and there's a there's a I will say there's a huge variety of opinion. And even for the experts who recently signed the the many experts who recently signed up for the Center of AI Safety's uh, statement on existential risk, there's a huge amount of um, there's a huge variety of opinion on there. And so in part, that statement is very short. Uh, because it would be hard to get people to sort of like sign up and agree to like, this is what we all want. There was an earlier um, statement that was signed by a, a fair number of people, but not nearly as many, which called for a pause on AI research above a sort of a certain capacity. I would put myself down as uh, being worried, but not really not knowing the right answers here. Um, for myself on the, on the, for myself, I, th I think I would, I would prefer something that was uh, light at this point, regulation-wise, but was there so that we begin to practice something um, as, as in terms of in terms of regulation. And so, the sort of thing I would have in mind is that uh, for laboratories, for industry, um, have say a certain amount of compute past a certain point, so are playing with experiments that are are, are beyond a beyond a certain threshold, that there would be some kind of government oversight or inspection about the capabilities that are developed there. So some monitoring, maybe not even any sort of intervention at this point, but that like just at least that we're developing coherent systems for measurement of capabilities that we can track all the time to see if these things are getting better quickly, for example. Yeah. And, and at the moment, we don't even have that. I mean, yeah. There's no, there's no uh, real oversight at all into the training process of, of um agents anywhere so it's almost like having a, like a un atomic agency coming yeah. in in the field yeah that's right and i think you know we we i would say like as well um and there's a lot of debate about this it's good if these are things that are probably also worth being very careful about i i think i would what little i know about it the the, the, the nuclear case um it's probably great that we've had some of those regulations and then some of the stuff that happened in around the time of production of those regulations i think put a real damper on the creation and use of nuclear energy and i think in retrospect that probably been uh relative with, with respect to the climate change uh, issues a, a bit of a disaster and so i think we should be we should probably be heading into regulation with a lot of care and so i think i Myself, not knowing not knowing the like the details, I'd probably prefer something light to begin with. But I would prefer, I think, I would prefer something over nothing. The sort of totally unbridled case um, is is does does worry me, especially over we talk about the, the sort of twenty year time frame. Um, yeah. I think we need to have conversations as well about what constitutes unacceptable risk, and that's going to have to start with getting over the hump that most of us who don't know and don't have Tim's brain about AI think about when we hear the word AI, we just think that's, I don't understand that that's not for us, but we'll never be able to come to a consensus unless not just lawyers, but ordinary people start caring about it and actually start thinking about it and thinking, what is our point of departure? Is it when it can do stuff better than humans? Is it when it can do this type of task instead of that type of task until we've got a standard like that? we're not going to be able to regulate meaningfully in any sense. Well, that's a very thoughtful point on which um, to to end. And I mean, hopefully this discussion is, for those listening has thrown a bit of light and taken us a bit of a way down that path. Yeah. Tim, thanks so much Thank uh, for joining us uh, and kind of talking about this issue that, as I said before, could be 
could be a hundred podcasts. Thanks very much indeed. <laughs> Great to have you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.